Hi, I'm Emma Clark, and this is Before the Bar Opens, the podcast about what happens before the music starts. I talk to people who make, use, and love music. David Green is a radio boss. He's MD of York Mix Radio, and for many years he ran Minster FM in York. David's final broadcast on Minster FM shows just how much radio means to David and the depth of the connection he has with the community he serves. When I heard it, it made me cry. Have a listen. It's beautiful. It's been my true privilege to lead the on-air team at Minster FM. And all too often, when someone's asked me what I've done and they've said, what is a content director? I've said, it means it's all my fault. And I've said, I'm sorry. But the truth is... I have no need to apologise because I'm so incredibly proud of every single one of the team here. They're all amazing and I'm proud of everything we've done together, of the incredible bonds that we've made with the communities across North Yorkshire and, of course, of the amazing creative advertising campaigns we've created for our commercial partners. There are so many people I want to say thank you to, but I can't list them because I'll run out of time and doubtless I'll forget someone. But I just wanted to end by saying that it has been an absolute privilege to be the voice on your radio for all these years. I sincerely hope to have the chance to talk to you again at some point in the future. But until then, all I can do is thank you for listening, for being my friend, and for making my radio dream come true. As well as being a passionate leader in music radio, he's also a wedding DJ. I want to learn more about how David connects music with people and the people with a dance floor. How did you feel when you were broadcasting that final message on Minster FM? It was incredibly emotional and I was in bits listening to that. How did you feel? I felt very differently at the start of it to the end of it, I think is the best I can describe it as. So you went on a journey along with the listeners listening to it. It was very precise. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And I'd spent probably the best part of the week before thinking about the words I wanted to use in that broadcast. I knew that for me, it was important to say it. Whether it was self-indulgent or not was a different question. Oh, I didn't think so. I didn't think so in the least. I just thought it was a lovely way to say thank you to your listeners, the community that you'd built. And just to, it was just wonderful to hear because it just showed me what a massive force radio is, how powerful it is. I think that was probably really important to me was that it needed to be something that showed what the medium can do because radio is a really special medium. And it connects in a way that no other medium does. And I think sometimes it gets forgotten about, especially in, you know, local radio and commercial radio where we're all very happy and we do all these great things and then we play Take That. Um, I think (laughs) there is a real power behind a lot of the things that happen on, on a real local radio station. And to be able to actually put some of that across and show emotion is very real. And I think that's something that Minster and my act on Minster had always been. I'm not fake on air I'm just me and so as a final act of a station that had been quite a big part of my life that had to be as real as everything else. It was totally authentic and it was totally you and it was totally a real reaction there was nothing studied about it and there was nothing mawkish about it it was just truly you I loved it. I had a lot of reaction from people to it I have to say I thought I was going to get through it without 
any breakdown or anything like that. And I think I'd heard other people on the station sign off their shows throughout the day. And I still, even though listening to them, I'd been a little bit emotional. I still thought I was going to get through it and it wasn't going to affect me. <laughs> and how wrong I was by the end, I was in, you know, in tears. But what was the most interesting thing was the number of people who just called up and there was a full switchboard for the next half an hour just of people in tears. <laughs> and people will still say to me now that they heard it and they were in tears and even thinking about it, they're in tears. So that was completely unexpected to me because it was a very personal thing. But you forget how personal radio is to other people as well. When did you realise you were going to give your life to music radio? Oh, that is a good question. Probably when I was a teenager. But I don't think at that point your mind is not in the same place as, as, you know, 20, 30 years down the line. So I think at that point it was about this is a great job, it's fun and you can interact with people. But you don't realise at that stage that this is going to take over your life in the same way that it does. And I think it was probably when I was at university and doing radio there that I really connected with how powerful radio could be and saw other mediums, but never really decided I wanted to do anything with them because... They didn't have the same level of connection. So around, I would say it was the end of university when I realised that music radio was where I was going to be for forever, really. When you set up York Mix Radio, what was the first song that you played on air? Shed 7, Chasing Rainbows. And the reason for that was Shed 7 are a York band, so there was a local connection, and Chasing Rainbows because the lyrics and the sentiment of it are very much about following your dreams and chasing them and seeing what happens. And it seemed very appropriate to us that it should be a local band, but it should also be something that spoke about what we were endeavouring to do. Why is local radio so important to the people who make it and the people who love to hear it? What's that special thing? What's its power? It's the real connection. And I think this has been forgotten in a great part recently. I think why Minster and York Mix have been successful. York Mix has been successful based on our histories, the team here, based on our histories with Minster, because Minster was a station that never lost the true local connection to its area. And over time, a lot of stations have diluted what they do through whatever reason that they've chosen to do that for. Um, Whereas we were 100% local all of the time to an area that is quite distinct. And I think if you can marry the two, then you've got something special. So if something happens, the local radio station is a part of it. And York Mix carries on that. So we are here not because we want to be on the radio, but because we want to make a difference to where we live. I think that's the subtle difference. We're not, there are stations around that are full of people who want to be on the radio, and that's fine. And there are people who are true national entertainers who have radio stations, and that's fine. But we're here not because of any of that. Our reason to be here is because we want to make a difference to where we live and to the people who live with us in that area. Connecting with listeners, being a friend on the radio is what motivates David. Hearing him talk about his love for music radio, it's so clear that a radio station broadcasts straight into people's personal spaces, their homes, their cars, their private lives. That's a real privilege. It's powerful. Tell me about some of the callers that you get <laughs> on live local radio. You've heard them all, but they go from the very plain 
where people will call up just to tell you that the traffic is bad in a situation through to the characters that we have. And I think every radio station has its characters and whether they are one-offs or people who ring every single day. We have a lady called Elaine who will ring us up every single morning to tell us what she's having for breakfast. And what she'll have for breakfast is not what you or I have had for breakfast. She's not having cornflakes. She's she's having a burger or something like that at four in the morning. So um, she's, she's unique, but she loves it. She loves to get in touch and tell us. Um, and then there have been people who... I mean, I've got such a collection of these and I quite often post them on social media and I'm not sure whether I should or not, but some of them are are just so far out there. But I think it shows you what people's thought processes are like. And I remember one guy ringing me up, convinced a plane was crashing, absolutely convinced a plane was crashing and I I needed to do something about it because I'm the person on the radio. And he was absolutely convinced he could see the plane crashing and he was driving towards it now and he was following the the road towards somewhere. And I said, are you you sure this plane is going down? I'm going to have to try and alert the authorities if they are. I'm just get, absolutely, I can see it going down now. And then he said, so I'm just I'm just pulling around the corner into Ruffeth now. And I said, sorry, are you sure it's a plane? Well, it's got very wing, big wings, could be a glider. That's the airfield. <laughs> and, you know, he just, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, it's not going down at all. I've just followed a glider to an airfield. And But people feel like they have to tell you everything that's going on in their heads sometimes on the radio. And I don't know why. It's that personal connection that they've built up with you and they think you can do something about whatever their situation is. I love the idea that local music radio can be a hub for a community, somewhere people know they'll be able to speak to someone who knows what it's like to live where they live, someone who's just like them and someone they can trust. Some of them ring you up because they want a chat. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. We have a lovely man who will ring us every day to tell us, you know, just what's going on in his life and tell us how much the radio station is part of his life. At the same time, I remember another man who used to ring all the time and <laughs> he used to sound like this and <laughs> he used to take a long, long time <laughs> to get to <laughs> any point he ever had. <laughs> and he'd always end it by asking for a song for his daughter who had passed away a few years ago. Oh, bless him. <laughs> You're more sympathetic than I to that, because I, I was kind of think, well, she can't hear it. But, <laughs> um, but you know... We'd, it, what was the song? It would be a different one all the time, but it was always something quite lovely. And then probably about a year after first hearing from this man, we had this phone call from this lady who rang up and said, Hiya, uh, my dad is this person's name and um you keep putting him on the radio and he keeps asking for songs for me because he says i'm dead and and the thing is i'm i'm actually not dead so if you could not put him on the radio that'd be brilliant so you know swings and roundabouts you get the real serious ones who want to tell you something that's going on and then people who've well i i don't know next time he phoned you to say, can you play this song from a dead daughter? Did you say, look, <laughs> she's not dead? You know, I think that might have been the end of it. I think after that, we perhaps didn't hear from him. And I mean, there's plenty of times when I've made mistakes with callers. I remember one of my very first shows, and I was doing a Christmas show. Because I think this is how it used to start in commercial radio. You'd end up covering a show when no one else was available. So teenage years, covering a Christmas Eve party show or something like that. And getting lots of phone calls from 
a prison down the road. People say, oh, we're in prison, but can you play us a song? We're all listening on D block or something like that. <laughs> Not realising <laughs> that that's entirely illegal. They shouldn't have the phones in the prison in the first place and shouldn't have been calling and requesting <laughs> songs and getting in. <laughs> Not in trouble just with the uh, the warden who rang up, but with my boss at the time who was then saying, you know, you should have known that. Yeah, I should have done, but <laughs> never mind. It's a, it's a strange connection that you don't realise who's quite listening on the on the other side. So You never know who you're reaching, do you? No, you've no idea. On, the, on that day, it's a maximum security prison and you don't want to think about what those people have done on the other side. But they were really enjoying whatever the song was I was playing at the time. Um, probably should have have thought of that more but you you know i don't suppose it did anybody any harm whereas somebody's dad coming on and telling you that they've died several times maybe that does a little bit more psychological harm to them and maybe you have to think more about that kind of thing i wanted to hear about david's life as a wedding dj how does he use music to get the party started and what happens if things get sticky now, you're also a wedding DJ, yes. so I really want to know all about that because I'd imagine, you know, you're there at somebody's massive life milestone moment and you're a big part of that event. What's it like being a wedding DJ? Nine times out of ten, it's an absolutely brilliant thing to be. Um, and I think it's a bit like a drug. It's addictive. And the reason it's addictive, and I think this of so many uses for music, I think the, the reason it's so addictive is you're watching people have a great time and you are doing that. You're the facilitator for them having such a brilliant night. That must give you a hell of a buzz. You see the smiles on their faces. I did a wedding and, and periodically over time I've thought I will give this up because I can do something else with my Saturday nights. And after lockdown, I was especially thinking it's been quite nice to have my Saturday nights free. But then very quickly got back into the spirit of doing these things. And last week I did a wedding and this young couple who were dancing to their favourite songs, which were not necessarily the, the usual um, music that you would hear at a wedding, but they'd picked them and you could see the, the look in their eyes as they were singing and dancing to each other. And if no one else had been in the room, it wouldn't have mattered. They were just so in love with each other and all their friends and family watching them in a circle around them, cheering them on and seeing the look on all their faces and the true joy that the music was bringing out in everybody in the room there aren't many places you can see that after a year when we've all sat at home or feared for our friends and family and loved ones and to actually be out there doing that and be the person who's facilitating it do you know what it's a true yeah you, you use the word buzz and it really is it's it is like a drug what was the music they were dancing to i can't wait to hear um i don't i can't remember i think it was the trouble is there's been so many of late that i can't fully remember each one from the next but I think it was all quite rock focused so it, there was a lot of Green Day album tracks and things like that that you wouldn't necessarily think you might think Wedding DJ is going to play Come On Eileen every night but that <laughs> tends not to be the case uh, to be honest so it, it was very very rocky focused and there were a lot of album tracks towards the end and their friends knew them they knew them but it was just a true feeling of joy in that room and that's replicated whatever the music is. I did another one last weekend, which was much more dance focused. And that music was right for that crowd. But they then started dancing to it 
like they were doing a conga. And that was right for them because <laughs> they were just so carried away with what was going on. And it was just, it's just that feeling that you're in the room and you've made this night happen. And these people have had a great time. And that will wipe out every single time I think next year I might give this up. I might might move on and not do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that is the same of people who play live music or people who play clubs or anything. I, I think it's the reaction of others that actually keeps you doing it. What do you do if you sense it's about to kick off at a wedding reception? Has it ever kicked off? Uh, <laughs> Yes. Um, most of the time when I've seen it kick off, it tends to be prior to the music starting, I think, because I think the music kind of takes over that gap. I think there's that there's that difficult bit, isn't there, at a wedding where you've had the food. Yes. But not everybody knows everybody and everybody's making small talk. And then everybody has a bit too much to drink in order to get past that awkwardness. And then then it can kick off. I mean, the most notable time I've seen it kick off was when I did a wedding for a gentleman who was getting on a little bit. And he had a bride, a Russian bride, who he'd met abroad. And she'd come to live with him. And she was about 21. And midway through the speeches, his sister, I think it was, stood up and shouted, she's a gold digger. <gasps> At which point... A fight broke out. The police were called. <laughs> Somebody was escorted away. And then they carried on with the evening as though nothing had ever happened. Oh, my God. So I don't think I've ever really encountered it where, while the music's playing, where there's been too much of a big fight. I've unfortunately had an occasion where people, or a couple of occasions, where somebody's passed out on the dance floor or uh, had uh, had some kind of health emergency and had to be called away, which... That, to be honest, does ruin the evening. There's no getting away from the fact that people are dancing around and their hearts are energetically racing. And, and it's a big day. It's emotional, isn't it? Yeah. And unfortunately, that does happen. People from time to time are going to get injured or have to go to an ambulance. But I don't think I've ever had a fight. I've had, certainly had it where there's too much alcohol. And at the end of the night, you'll find one member of the party is missing and no one can find them. I certainly remember one where the husband had far too much to drink, had gone out and passed out and gone to bed. <laughs> and the bride, thinking this is her bridal night, she should be having some fun with her husband, was running around asking anybody if they wanted to go up to her room with her because it was her wedding night and she deserved things to happen. So, <laughs> I mean, that was... <laughs> that was an interesting one. I don't think anybody took her up on it. Not, uh, I, I was too busy packing away to actually spend too much time being interested in it. But I don't think I've ever had it really kick off on the dance floor. And now I'm scared that I've said that it's going to happen at the next one. I've jinxed it. <laughs> I've probably jinxed it now. Yeah, that's it. Touch every wood and cross everything. When something has gone slightly wrong at a wedding reception, whether somebody's fallen over and hurt themselves or passed out or whatever, what's your go-to music track? <laughs> oh, um, I think we all have songs that we know will fill the dance floor at the majority of weddings and things have gone wrong. You might want to dig for one of those very quickly. I have quite often when I'm DJing, I'll be chatting with other DJs I know and we, we all know our, uh, our certain songs that are in emergency songs. So I would say, you know, if it's all going terribly badly, I'll play Whitney Houston and I want to dance with somebody. It's like an emergency, if in case of emergency, break glass. You know people will come up to the dance floor. <laughs> break glass, 
get Whitney. Or don't break glass. Or <laughs> the killers and Mr. Brightside will always bring people up to the dance floor so that you can probably mask what's going on. I've had bad experiences with that once when I was very early starting out as a DJ and I didn't used to do weddings because I always said they were the hardest gigs because most people at a wedding don't know even half of the people that are there. Even if you're family, yeah. you only know half of the room. And you won't know the friends from uni or the friends from school. And there's nothing that unifies everybody in the room other than that in some way they're connected with the couple. But if you go to a 50th or a 40th birthday party, chances are everybody in the room lives fairly close to each other. They all have a good time. Weddings can be a bit harder. So I, I didn't used to do weddings when I was first starting out. And one of the first weddings I did, I asked them what they wanted as their first dance. And they didn't know. They didn't have any idea. And this shows you how long ago it was, because I think Wet, Wet, Wet and Love is All Around had been number one for however long it was. And a fella came up to me and said, look, I'm their uncle, and I know that Love is All Around means a lot to this couple. So why not use that as their first dance? I know they've been struggling. And I said, OK, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And this is in the days of CDs. So I put that on, cleared the dance floor ready for the first dance, they started dancing and about 20 seconds in, the bride realized what the first dance was and she burst into tears. <gasps> and yeah, and that, but I was probably 18, 19 at the time. And I was very new to doing weddings. The groom rushed over to me and he said, you can't play this song. They played it at her dad's funeral a month ago. <sighs> I mean, looking back, I think, why on earth did the uncle tell me that song? Because he must have known what why it meant so much. He must have known. So I grabbed the first CD I could and I, I put it on to play just to get that off the dance floor and move on. And the first CD I picked out and put on was Tavara's and There Must Be an Angel, um, which, again, doesn't turn out to be a great song to play, you know, if you're talking about somebody who's died a couple of weeks ago. So oh, God. never mind. <laughs> Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel. That was it. Yeah. Tavara's not a great second choice of song. That was um, not the best gig, as I remember it, but it's stuck in my mind ever since. What is the most requested first dance song? Um, Christina Perry and A Thousand Years crops up so many times. Every year there is one song that will be requested a lot. At one point, that would have been a couple of years ago, Ed Sheeran Thinking Out Loud was requested a lot. But Christina Perry, A Thousand Years, is like an eternal one that has cropped up for maybe the last 10 years, probably. And it will be requested one out of every five or six weddings. That's a lot, isn't it? It is. And she should have done a longer version or a shorter version. I don't know whether it... Longer, maybe, because um, she might have earned a bit more royalties. Shorter, because <laughs> uh, nobody enjoys the first dance. <laughs> I think, universally, people hate the first dance. I'd imagine it's a very awkward thing. I mean, me and my husband didn't do that because we just found it just too awful. Neither did me and my wife. We didn't do a first dance either, just for the same reason. Yeah, we just got everybody on the, the dance floor and that was it. We didn't want, I didn't want that kind of focus on me personally. The thing is, I think people expect it. The evening doesn't really start until it's happened. And on the occasions where it doesn't happen, there's always a strangeness around the start of the evening because it's just one of those formalities that is kind of expected of you. Has anyone ever said, play this song at this wedding and you're dead, pal. 
Has anybody ever complained about the music? I always ask couples to give me a list of songs that they like and a list of songs that they don't. So you're safe. Yeah, so I'm safe. You've set the boundaries early doors. Trouble is, whatever song they ask you not to play will be the first request. (laughs) It's like some kind of universal law. (laughs) So you'll always get somebody who says, oh, don't play ABBA and Dancing Queen. Um, fine, we won't play it. And it will be the first request. Normally, the reason they are songs that they ask you not to play are because they know somebody in their family is going to request it. <laughs> and then you have to have a really awkward conversation over a really loud speaker with somebody going, no, it's not that I won't play it. It's the bride doesn't want you to play it. <laughs> and then inevitably, by the end of the night, they go and have a chat with the bride or something and it ends up being played one way or another. But normally... You know, there might be two or three songs they ask for. And sometimes there's good reasons for it. It might be people who say, oh, well, this is my ex-wife or something's song that we got married to. And of course, you never go there. Other times it's just that they don't like the song. And that's a real weird thing about wedding discos is the people who are actually paying you to play the music are probably the people who get less time on the dance floor than anybody else. That's true, isn't it? Because yeah. they're busy. So. Who are you really playing to? Are you playing to the people who are getting married who probably throughout the night have got to talk to their great auntie Ethel and they've got to arrange a taxi for somebody and they've got to talk to 30,000 people that they've invited to their wedding? Or are you playing to the people who've been there all day who by this point just need something to get them going? And there's a real balancing act with it. And I always say to, to couples that they need a good mix of music So you can sort of feel the rhythm in the room. You can kind of sense the zeitgeist of the crowd and you can sort of pitch the music accordingly, presumably. I always say to couples, because sometimes they will give you a prescribed playlist and I would always ask them if they're happy for me to play around that because I think you need to read the room. Yes. They may have told you that these songs will get everybody up on the dance floor, but the chances are at half past seven in an evening, what they mean is at 11 o'clock at night, those songs will get people up on the dance floor when they've had a few and their uni friends are available, whereas... Uh, their aunts and uncles maybe want something a little bit different at the start of the night. And you need, I think you need a bit of flexibility with that. Equally, if they've told you that a certain song will do really well, and it does, you need the flexibility to be able to play a couple more that's similar to that, to be able to keep that vibe going. So I think you do need to be able to do it. And it only really comes with experience of watching what happens. And a gut feeling for picking up on the vibes. Because I'd imagine it's it's a highly charged event, isn't it? A wedding reception. Yeah, you've got to be able to try and read the room in some way, shape or form. Because you've got to look, look around. I think you kind of have a sixth sense for it. You have a sixth sense for who's going to fall over on the dance floor next. Um <laughs> Who's going to fall into your lighting or whatever? But equally at the same time, you're always looking around and seeing, well, the table over there look like they could get up and dance or they're they're starting to move in their seats, whereas these people on the dance floor look like they're waning a little bit. And there's there's probably more skill to it than you probably would ever realise there is because you are constantly looking and reading people and seeing what they're doing to try to keep the flow going because what you actually want is to have a dance floor full but there's no way you're going to keep somebody dancing from 7 o'clock in the evening through until midnight. You've never been out with me, David. (laughs) (laughs) What you really don't want to do equally is have people who by the end of the night are telling the bride and groom that, 
they didn't enjoy it. So you've got to try and please everybody. Would people say that to the bride and groom? I think they probably, well, I don't know if they'd say it to the bride and groom, but the bride and groom would certainly get a feeling if people were unhappy or if people were leaving early or if they hadn't enjoyed it. So for all we said about whether you're playing to the bride and groom or to the guests, the bride and groom have to be happy as well by the end of the night. And the motivation of the bride and groom generally is that they can see people dancing and that they ha- they know people are having a good time. But certainly people tell bride and grooms, oh, we had a great party at your wedding. You know, I remember that. And I think that gets lost a lot of the time when people are organising weddings. As a wedding DJ, have you ever had to sort of liaise with warring factions at a wedding and sort of mediate with music? The warring factions might be around the music, to be honest. Because it might be that you've been told to play specific types of music and it isn't working. (laughs) And there are people telling you what to play, even though you probably know that that's the music you should be playing. And somewhere you've got to try and get in the middle. But you can't really do that, especially if, if it's a bride and groom who've picked some songs that aren't working. And they've been very prescriptive with using those songs. You have to let them fail, which is... You know, I don't think there's any other way around that. There's no other way, is there? No, you've got to let them fail for them to then see that you can go, yeah, we're going to do this. And another Russian wedding that I did, because the venues I played tend to attract quite an international clientele. Uh, One of them, the groom, said he wanted nothing but Western music, which is fine. But his family were all Russian, so they wanted Russian music and so there again had to be some kind of balancing act there between the two and at first he was very much he wouldn't do what he wanted but then they started to remind him that they were there I think and you don't want to ruin anybody's big day though so you've got to tread carefully but if you prove that it's not working you give them what they want give them the chance to dance and if it's not working then then's the opportunity to either say to them, do you mind if we try this? And they may still say no. Or when people come up and request songs, I generally will redirect them and say, I'm I'm afraid at the minute I'm not allowed or I'm unable to because the requests are here. Uh, But if you want to have a chat with the bride or groom, maybe they'll change their mind. And I've never had any bride and groom who come up to me and say, oh, no, it's terrible that you've sent them my way. I've, I've only ever had them say, yeah, play a couple for them and see what's happening, see if it works. Being a wedding DJ is a huge responsibility, but it also seems like it's a great privilege to be there for the couple on that massively important day in their lives. Hearing David talk, it's obvious that he just loves it. I think people remember the venue, they remember the dress, and they remember if they had a good time at the end of the night. So you've got to make sure that people go away with that feeling that, yeah, it was a great party at the end of the night. It was a really good send-off for the couple. All the show notes for this episode are available in the description, and there's a bunch more stuff at beforethebaropens.com. Before the Bar Opens is created by me, Emma Clark, and is produced by Rick Watson. I compose the theme music. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and maybe be featured in a future episode of Before the Bar Opens, check out the show notes and follow the Leave Us a Voice Message link. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review, hopefully a lovely one, and tell your friends. Another episode will be along very soon, so don't miss it. Thanks for listening.